welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Well, it is my pleasure today. Well, first off, I better say I'm Bob. I'm an alcoholic. And uh, today it is my pleasure to be part of the discussion and, and uh, looking at Tradition 9. I almost had Tradition 10 on the table for you until I remember to come back and look at the thing here. And uh, I was preparing that last night. <clears throat> but today I got on the right track. And so in the big book on page 562, I'm just going to read it real quick, the short form, um, on Tradition 9. AAS such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. And thank goodness we still have the long form around, which dis- which uh, describes things much better, I believe. <clears throat> and on page 565 of the big book, it says, Each AA group needs the least possible organization. Rotating leadership is the best. The small group may elect its secretary, the large group its rotating committee, and the groups of a large metropolitan area their central or intergroup committee, which often employs a full-time secretary. The trustees of the General Service Board are, in effect, our AA General Service Committee. They are the custodians of our AA tradition and receivers of voluntary AA contributions by which we maintain our AA General Service Office at New York. <clears throat> they are authorized by the groups to handle our overall public relations, and they guarantee the integrity of our principal newspaper, the AA Grapevine. All such representatives are to be guided in the spirit of service, for true leaders in AA are but trusted, experienced servants of the whole. They derive no real authority from their title. They do not govern. Universal respect is the key to their usefulness. <clears throat> On this part here in the long form, I really, really, I really like it um, in this last part, especially in that, um, that there were just trusted servants whenever we get to serve. And, and, and experience sure does help a lot, uh, in, in serving in the service. That. But also, um, that we don't have any authority from our title. And titles don't, uh, aren't supposed to mean that much. Um, I've, I've seen titles, people get carried away thinking they've been elected president or something, getting some, some, uh, election. And it has caused problems for them. But when we really look at this this last part, the very last sentence, universal respect is the key to their usefulness. When when we have the respect of our fellows, and they and they trust us, and we are trustworthy, then we can be effective. And I know that in this trusted servant spot, it it is up to the groups to elect the best possible servant to make sure that they look at them and decide who who they are and are they capable of doing this. And they pick the uh, people that they really trust. 
and on the persons, other on the half of the person who's been elected or chosen, it is up to them to be trustworthy and make sure that they do what what they're asked to do and to report back and keep that communication line open. I've seen that cause uh, all kinds of, of problems when that doesn't happen. Um, I'm going to move now just to make reference to a few things here out of the uh, 12 and 12. And this would be on page 172. And um, I love I love this part here. It says, when Tradition 9 was first written, it said that Alcoholics Anonymous needs the least possible organization. In years since, we have changed our minds about that. Today, we are able to stay with assurance that Alcoholics Anonymous, AA as a whole, should never be organized at all. And I I have to say that they've, we've done a fairly good job of that, uh, avoiding the being uh, too organized. I know that sometimes uh, when, we're, when we're learning or in certain groups or districts or areas, and even at the conference, sometimes we, we have a, a tendency to want to become very organized but that's not, that doesn't suit us well. <clears throat> we're better serving and remembering that we're trusted servants and not trying to govern. At the bottom of the page, it makes a, uh, a really good statement. It says, the last sentence, this is, power to direct or govern is the essence of organization everywhere, yet Alcoholics Anonymous is an exception. And I just feel very blessed to be in a, in a fellowship um, and there's many fellowships just like AA. Uh, if I forget to mention that today at any time, I, I have been able to witness many other fellowships that live by the 12 steps and 12 traditions and apply them to their program. And I see it, I see it in action all the time. And I just, I'm so impressed how people from such various backgrounds and from backgrounds where they naturally have a tendency to grab the reins and, and, you know, kind of head the cart down the path. But in AA, we seem to let go of that, and we seem to be able to get along. Uh, we, when here, we learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. I had a lady one time at the, I was serving, and that's not too many years ago, I was serving my, uh, my group as the intergroup representative, and there was, some, there was really some dissension going on at that time, and, and when I was in there, um, after a few days, you know, because I was doing what I was supposed to for my group, I was voicing their their thoughts and their opinions, <clears throat> and this one lady says, you really like controversy, don't you? And I said, no, ma'am. As a matter of fact, I do not like controversy. I just don't hide from it anymore. And she just looked at me for about a minute solid and then finally just turned and went back to the whatever else the rest of the room was doing. And I thought that was kind of uh, interesting, her reaction to it. She didn't even know what to say or how to how to react. But um, I know that that's something that has truly come about because of this program and the principles that it has taught me is how to do this and not try to be organized, not try to hurt everything into a... I might do a little cowboy talk here now and then. Sorry, folks. Um, try to get everything in in its place and in line and walking in, in step or something. I don't have to do that. Uh, I, I just marvel at the way... We can uh, we can come from all over the place and join together and work so hard to do what AA needs to be doing and and Robert was just talking about that at the start here about carrying the message that is that is our our um, I almost said it in German 
that's our duty. Pflicht in German. Um, if there's, um, in, there's another thing here on page 173 down uh, a couple lines that says, Groups have tried to expel members, but the banished have come back to sit in the meeting, meeting place saying, this is life for us, you can't keep us out. Um, and I know that that's a, that's a common problem. A lot of times people will try to boot somebody out because they, they just seem to be coming back. They go out and they get drunk and they come back and they go out and they get drunk and they come back. And I've been at meetings where the guy, somebody comes in and they've been drinking. You can obviously smell them, but they sit there and listen to the meeting and some people get upset with that. And I know there was a couple of young ladies asked me one time, oh, shouldn't we throw him out? He shouldn't be in here. He's been drinking. I said, where better for somebody to be than drinking? Obviously, there's something here that he wants. And uh, I noticed that a couple of weeks later, both of those gals were drunk. I think they were mad because he could drink and they couldn't and be at the meeting. But I hope they made it back. I never did see him again. But there is an occasion, and Bill wrote about this in 1969, is when there's a disruptive member that is tearing the group up, which violates the first tradition. The group comes first. And this is this has been a, such, such has been the case when you have um, predators that are in there, male or female, on um, of the opposite sex or same sex. It does not matter. Um, <clears throat> and there's other people that can be so disruptive in a meeting, um, causing such dissension in the meeting that the group is about to fall apart. And Bill wrote about it in 1969, and I had a friend of mine from the general service office send me, send me what he wrote. And she also sent uh, kind of a format that her group used to hold a uh, business meeting and uh, decide what they were going to do with this person. And that person was invited. If anybody's ever interested in that, please just email me. I can send it to you. And But you can't kick anybody out of AA. All you can do is, is ask them not to be at your meeting. And you have to do it. It's best to do it in a certain way. And if anybody ever has questions on that, please feel free to contact me. I can send you those. It has been successful here um, at least three times that I know of. And then the one in New York was successful, too, by one of the staff members that sent it to. But that's it. And you can't throw them out of AA. They can just move to another meeting. And like this most recent one here, he just moved to another part of town and started his own meeting. Um, another sentence I really like down here in about the middle is... is uh, it says, uh, he and all like him who view with alarm for the good of AA meet the stubborn resistance or worse, still laughter. Meet the most stubborn resistance or worse, still laughter. And viewing with alarm for the good of AA, I have been involved in that myself. And following with this tradition, um, of trying to be super responsible and, and trying to make sure that everything goes down the road right. And I was viewing with alarm things that I saw I thought were wrong and, uh, it wasn't. It was just the way we do things, and we stray now and then, but we come back on course. And it, and it, sometimes um, I, you know, I myself have done it, and I know that other people I've witnessed kind of want to crack the whip and make everybody march and step. And I'll tell you what, herding alcoholics is like herding cats. It just doesn't work well at all. Um, and they always seem to get where we're supposed to go anyway. Um, although we do have to do some things to make sure that, that we stay um, headed in the right direction, and that's being trusted servant. Um, now, on the next page, on 174, 
Um, it says in the middle of the page here, alcohol, um, it says, unless an AA member follows to the best of his ability our suggested 12 steps to recover, he almost certainly signs his own death warrant. His drunkenness and disillusion are not penalties inflicted by people in authority. They result from his personal disobedience to spiritual principles. And sometimes I know that uh, I, early on, I haven't done that in a long time because the old-timers really pounded it into me that John Barleycorn for alcoholics is is the disciplinarian. And when we fall away from that in Alcoholics Anonymous, um, we, we get our own punishment. Nobody has to do it to us. And as you all know, um, I, regardless of what fellowship you're in and what, uh, what fellowship you belong to, you know that nobody can punish you nearly as bad as we do ourselves. I mean, if anybody treated me the way I do, I'd get up and leave. Because <laughs> I know I can sure be um, abusive to myself uh, far too often. And every now and then, not enough. But uh, it also says down in the next paragraph, it says, Great suffering and great love are these disciplinarians. We need no others. And just as I was saying, that is so true. We don't have to do anything else. I mean, there's things where you can be called on the carpet as a trusted servant. You can actually be censured. You can actually be removed from your position. Um, you can be given warnings, uh, all kinds of things. It's up to the, the group and the district and the area and the conference. And, we, and even at the general service office and that. Uh, I know there's several years ago in about 94 or 5, I think it was, there was a uh, a group of delegates that wanted to censure all of the trustees because of some things that they were doing that they didn't think were right. And they made a move to do it, but they just didn't quite have enough people to get it done. But I believe that the message got through and everybody came back to the table and started talking and, and uh, it started working its way out. Um, just down a little bit farther, it says, Great suffering and great love are AA's disciplinarians. We need no others. And I love the great love, suffering and great love, because that's what we give in AA. And that's so much more attractive than any discipline. I, they couldn't beat me hard enough to make me straighten out. But when they started loving me and treating me with kindness, it just blew me away. And I think one of those that you may have heard me say this before, but when I first got into AA, I was, I was coming, that didn't come in quite a while. And I was going to this one meeting in particular where there was two uh, ladies that were old time. They were around for a long time. And they were just super nice. I really liked them. And one day, the, one of them said to me, you know, Bob, we really like it that you're taking showers now and we can sit next to you. But uh, could you please do something with your mouth? You know, they, they they weren't nasty. They didn't beat up on me, but that was abundantly clear, and I call it lovingly blunt. They made it very clear. I didn't have to ask them what. I knew exactly what they meant, and I had to turn to my sponsor and my higher power for the help to get that accomplished, but it, it has been done. And But I love the way that they put it and the way they did it. They didn't corner me and, and wail on me or scream at me or anything. They just said it in such a lovingly kind way that I couldn't resist it. I had to look at it and deal with it. And I think that is one of the things that we can do in our fellowship, all the fellowship, that we can do that. I know, I know some wonderfully beautiful people in several fellowships and I know that they they can do that. They're capable of doing that. Getting getting people's attention by by loving them and I and that's what I call tough love. I 
because I, I've seen tough love. I, several years back, tough love was the word that was being totally abused around AA. And people were using it as an opportunity to just beat up on people. And it didn't fit in with this tradition. This is, this is where that, that last part is that it's, it's to respect. That's what gets us any kind of, uh, any kind of, uh, authority at all is, is respect of our, when other people respect us. We don't get that when we're treating people like that. It's when you love them and, and, uh, it's very attractive to people who have been so unloved or have made themselves unloved or in their own minds did that. Um, it says, um, over on, the on page 175 on 12 and 12, it says, even our foundation, which is the General Service Board and the General Service Office, once an independent board, is today directly account directly accountable to our fellowship. As trustees are the caretakers and expediters of our world services. And that is very, very true. Uh, when Whenever something is going that wrong, then, then it is the duty of the rest of the fellowship to step up and say, hey, wait a minute. Maybe things aren't going the way they should. Let's take a look at this. Maybe we can do a, an inventory or something, but we need to we need to take a good look at this. Um, it also says the aim of our services is to bring bring sobriety within the reach of all who want it. Uh, if nobody, and this is really this is so important. This next part. If nobody does the group's chores, if the area's telephone rings unanswered, if we do not reply to our mail, then AA, as we know it, would stop. Our communication lines and those who need a remote would be broken. And I'm, and I, I think one of the greatest sins that we can do in a, within a fellowship is to put in the newspaper or on a meeting list that we're going to have a meeting at a certain day at a certain time in a certain place. And we say we put that out there for people to help them find a place to get the help they want. And then they show up and there's nobody there. Or it's late. It's late in opening. That's just um, that's unacceptable for people who are really hurting, especially when it's a, it can be only five, ten minutes late. That's enough to turn them away from the door and say, I'll never go there again. That is one of our responsibilities. And I take that very personal. I was taught when I first came in, show up early, stay late. Talk to people outside the door on both at the end and at the That's really, really, I believe, one of our great uh, responsibilities to these fellowships that we belong to because it's not that we're just going to take somebody off and they're going to wander off and hold a grudge against us. They can actually die from such action because they'll just say, well, I wanted to try it and I saw that they don't even show up, so the heck with them and, and they and they never come back and they die. I don't want to be a part of that. And I know that my home group takes that very serious. And all of our openers are show up early and, and make sure the door's open and the coffee's on. Um, it says AA has to function, but at the same time, it must avoid those dangers of great wealth, prestige, and entrenched power, which necessarily tempt other societies. And I know that sometimes that can happen within our, within our fellowship. I have seen it within AA where the people get a rotation going where the same people or their friends rotate into these positions and it kind of becomes a locked-in thing. And that can be very dangerous to a, to a certain group or to people trying to come to that group to sober up or, or any other fellowship into a group that something like that's going on. Um, it, it just can't go to that. 
and it, it's a, it's a loving fellowship, and we're just trusted servants. Nobody's supposed to be the president and the head whip or anything. We we do this out of love and kindness and tolerance, and that's what's so attractive to uh, those of those people like myself who are hurting so bad from my own things that I did to myself. You know, the ways that I treated people and all the stuff I had inside. When I walked into those rooms and these people were sitting there talking about that stuff. I knew I belonged there, and they weren't there beating up on anybody. They were there, and they welcomed me and made me feel welcome, and that, that's what's really important, and I think that's why we got in, in, in these fellowships, avoiding this organization and creating this rank and file and, and, and that type of thing, uh, that everybody who's serving the fellowship, whichever fellowship you're in, whoever's serving those needs to remember that they are but trusted servants. And I know that I've had to be reminded of that, that I'm just a trusted servant. I don't get to run the show. I can bring back ideas from, like when I was a delegate, you got to bring back ideas from the from the conference and put them before our assembly and, and, and let them mull that over. And uh, they would give me direct um, <clears throat> stuff to take back with me. But when I got there, because I heard stuff that they hadn't heard, sometimes my mind was changed. But when I when I voted a certain way, I came back and told them exactly how I voted on every issue and why. And I we never we never had a misunderstanding that I remember. Of course, I have a tendency to forget my errors. But um, in all the issues, even the ones where they they were very explicit in telling me what they wanted, and when I got there, I heard new information. And when I came back and gave that back to the to the fellowship here, they understood why I changed my mind. And they were in agreement with it. And that's the, that's the beautiful thing about this, the way this tradition is laid out, is that their response, their, the, the uh, service boards or committees are directly responsible, directly responsible to those they serve. That means the lines of communication have to be open. And we discuss things back and forth. And I think that's what creates great harmony and, and can make this thing work so smooth and uh, make it so attractive to those that are going to be coming through the door. Um, before I forget it, I want to mention that um, uh, some of you are familiar with the concepts, probably most of you, and I would highly recommend uh, reading through those concepts uh, because there's so much in the concepts that help both the fellowship and the, the trusted servants serving the fellowship to see the real role that we play uh, on both sides of that issue, and actually there really should be no side. We're all on the same side. Some of us are just doing different things on that side, and we and that's where we become really responsible and very trusted, and the trusted servants have to trust the fact that, that we're there for them, that we're, we have their back, and that we support them financially and spiritually in every, in every way that we support them. That's our responsibility as members of the fellowship when we ask people to do things for us. And I, I just, the, 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 the concepts and the warranties are just so, um, they bring back things, they bring things to light that I had not even thought of. And, uh, it really, uh, it really changed my, my life a lot. Uh, one example where that happened, it was in the general service conference when I went through my first year and there was a big, uh, kind of a brouhaha going about the staff members getting incentive pay. That when somebody would just make a decision that this person was doing a nice job and they should get more, 
that it was changing the pay scales in there. And this incentive pay, uh, you know, I hadn't even thought of it, but it was coming up, and I knew it was an item on there. And in reading the service manual, again, before I went there, I found it in the concept. And in there, Bill had talked about how it almost destroyed the office at one time, the very same thing, because some some people were getting it and some people weren't, and that was causing a big disruption within the office. And pretty soon, things slowed down in the office to where there was not very much stuff coming in and going out of the office to, to reach out to the other alcoholics around this world. And, uh, well, they saw that they had to stop it, and they did, and things came back online. And to me, that's what the service structure in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I believe every other fellowship is. It's just the arteries and the veins getting out there, and we're spreading them all over so that the lifeblood of this fellowship and the other fellowships can flow out there to the people who need it. And that's all it is. It's nothing. It's uh, it's an important part, but it's not the part because the people carrying the message are the ones that are flowing through those veins. And that's what's really important. And in that lesson, I saw that firsthand. And I saw people that were very principled dealing with it, staff members who got up and left the room so that when the vote went on, they didn't want to be there to influence anybody. And uh, I saw a lot of really neat things. And uh, it taught me a lot about um, being a trusted servant and and earning that, um, that, type, that role, that being trusted. Um, in uh, AA Comes of Age, on page 118, now don't let me just drone on here. If anybody has a question, all you got to do is do, uh, I think it's star five, and come in, come in, jump in there to ask a question if you need to. Um, in the 118 on AA Comes of Age, why why do they mean no organ? What do they mean no organization? What we really mean, of course, is that AA can never have an organized direction or government. And I believe... We, the star six, Bob. Sorry, just want to let you know. Yeah. It's star six, not star five. Just let you know. Oh, is it star six for, for everybody else? Okay. I, I must have read that wrong. Or my memory is just not good. Um, all right. Well, thank you. Because um, we don't need government, it's, and it, it's one of the things that just baffles people outside of the fellowship and the fe- other fellowship that we don't have that. And um, yes, it is Star Six. I just got my screen back up. Um, is that when you know they just think there's got to be some other kind of organization? There's got to be more to it. There has to be a, a government. And what do you mean nobody's the boss? And and what do you mean you can't throw anybody out? They just can't believe that. And uh, But it works. And it works for people like us. People people like like alcoholics and people from all the other fellowships, huh? you know, we're people who absolutely revolted at any kind of, any kind of, uh, anybody giving us direction or trying to control us. And uh, yet in here we get into these fellowships and we actually, it actually works. The, the principles taught in here. Once we start living up to these principles, they actually work, and uh, we we can agree to disagree, and actually learn how to in in this fellowship because of this this fellowship. I learned how to disagree without being disagreeable, 
And that was, this is where it really taught me how to play in the sandbox with all the other kids. And it was like I told a lady uh, at a meeting yesterday where I, I chaired a meeting to be the referee in it for their election. And I told her, I said, oh, I told the whole group, I said, before I got to AA, I would try to change your mind. And if I couldn't change your mind, I'd try to change your face. And they all laughed and they just looked at me. I'm a fairly good-sized fellow. And, uh, but I said, that doesn't happen anymore. I don't, I can, I can disagree with you. We can talk back and forth. And it's not necessary for me to change your mind. What's necessary for me is to keep my ears open so that I can hear something coming in which that wasn't possible before this fellowship taught me those principles, that I can I can listen to what other people have to say. It doesn't mean they're going to change my mind, but at least I can hear it and consider it. And sometimes down the road a little ways, I'll finally grasp everything they said. But that's a beautiful thing, being able to do that, because prior to getting into these fellowships, I couldn't hear other people at all. And if I did hear them, I translated it wrongly. It was It came out completely different than what they said. Um, it says here, too, that uh, to this rule, Alcoholics Anonymous is a complete exception. It does not at any point conform to the pattern of a government, and thank God for that. Uh, groups have tried to expel members, but the banished have come back to sit. Well, I read that in the 12 and 12. You'll find that it comes of age. A lot of this is the same. Uh, it says here, uh, down at, on page 119, it says, Of course you are at perfect liberty to handle this matter any way you please, but the majority experience in AA does seem to suggest um, that that we handle things in, a whole, in an entirely different manner, uh, that, we, that we do things more for the fellowship and consider others and try not to push our agenda forward. Uh, we just try to bring ideas to the table and share them and listen to others. Uh, some of this is still repeated. Uh, I like this part, though. It says at the bottom of page 119, unless each AA member follows to the best of his ability or suggests the 12 steps of recovery, he is almost cert- certainly signs his own death warrant. Drunkenness and disintegration are not penalties inflicted by people in authority. They are results from personal disobedience to, to spiritual principles. We must obey certain principles or we die. And there's no kind of or sort of or anything like that to that sentence. It's right on the money and it says it. It says the same concern threat applies to people, to the group itself. Unless there's an approximate conformity to the AA's 12 traditions, the group too can deteriorate and die. So we of AA do obey spiritual principles first because we must, and ultimately because we love the kind of life such obedience brings. Great suffering and great love are AA's disciplinarians. We have no others. And to me, that's, I have watched groups completely deteriorate, explode, almost die, finally get back together, but I've seen a lot of, a lot of serious, serious uh, stuff happen to groups. And I know for myself that the only time I really get into trouble in my life today is when I'm trying to slide around the end of a step or a tradition every time. And it's like, like the traditions and the steps are the same. It says um, the traditions are a suggested program of recovery. And I believe the traditions are similar. They're a suggested path to follow, to, to stay alive, and it's what keeps AA alive. Bill designed them, I believe, and God helped him design them. 
Because, I mean, he was a power monger, egomaniac, and, and uh, for him to design him, is, it makes it all the more the miracle. And he designed him to protect AA from guys like him and from me. Because I'm the kind of guy who would climb up on this raft in the sea of alcoholism called AA, and I would I'd, I'd climb up on that raft, and you give me about two days, and I'd start remodeling that thing, and next thing you know, we're all sinking. And uh, thank God for those traditions. Uh, the name of my whole group is Traditions Group. So I was taught those right off the bat. And, uh, and the reason our group was called the Traditions Group and that I got taught those, they, they were with another group and they had a big fight over the traditions and so they split and then the group I ended up with about a year later uh, ended up being the Traditions Group and they really talked about them a lot. And I am so glad for that. Uh, in fact, I had the books that I... But surely we're in a different language. One was the service manual. I was early in sobriety, and my sponsor said, read this, and I couldn't even understand why he asked me to read it. I couldn't make heads or tails out of it. But today, after some experience, it means a lot. Um, Bob, here, just as the game, this is on page 120 of the um, AA Comes of Age, in the middle of the page. It's just as the game of each AA member is personal sobriety, so the game of our services bring sobriety within reach of all who want it. If nobody did the group tours, if the area phone didn't ring, and I read this all before, our communication lines with would be broken. Though Tradition 9 at first seems to deal with purely practical matters, it embodies a deep spiritual uh, spirituality in its actual operation. AA is a society without organization, animated only by the spirit of service and true fellowship. And, uh, do I hear somebody online has a question? I, I had a question, Bob. Can yeah. you hear me okay? Yeah, uh, it's Peter in Toronto. Um, I've always wondered why that those two paragraphs you read in Tradition 9, especially about uh, EJA member must follow to the best of his ability the 12 steps or he signs his own death warrant. It seems strange that it's hidden there in uh, Tradition 9. I have it highlighted in my 12 and 12. Yeah, I, I have so much stuff highlighted, it pretty soon I have to get a new book. <laughs> but I think what they used that for is they hid it there, but it was to try to grasp the idea here in the, in the tradition that it is absolutely as important for the groups and the fellowship to follow these traditions as it is for the individual to follow the steps. Because if we don't, we step out of line and we get off on, a, on the wrong course, and, the next, and it's going to mean death for the group. And as I said, I've seen groups die, and it's, it is kind of hidden there. But I know that in the 12 and 12, it also it talks about the same thing. Um, and in the big book, it talks about the same thing applied to the the alcoholic not following the steps. And I know that in the other fellowships that I've, I've become acquainted with, and several of them now, but uh, I know that when they're talking, it's the same thing for the other fellowships. If they don't follow those, those principal steps, it means death, because then we lose track of our spiritual path, and the next thing you know, our brains take over, and away we go. And we're back to the same things we did before. And I feel the traditions are that, that path to guide us as we're trying to do service work 
to keep us from becoming becoming governors and presidents and everything, to just remember that we are trusted servants. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, right just as I said that, I remembered a thought, um, because we always hear trusted servants and trusted servants. And when I was at the General Service Convent, and afterwards, in a lot of general service work, I've always heard but uh, trust your trusted servants and, and trust the, the process and trust all this and that. And absolutely, I have to have trust in that stuff. But, and here's a, here's a huge but. Bill said, and I was trying to find it today and I couldn't find it, where Bill said it is up to us, it is our absolute responsibility to be sure that we pick the best possible servants for AA. Those that are trustworthy, and we have to take the best possible servants so that they will do the job that AA or whichever fellowship you're in, so that those will be done. And oftentimes, and I know some of you witnesses too, that at elections, it seems like nobody even really knows the people they're voting for, and it's and it's not discussed. And, and sometimes we elect people that that are funny and tell a good joke, and they're fun to be around. And at our area assembly up here in Montana, I've, I've said this at every one that I've been at. I get up and I say, "Look, there's friends of mine that I would not vote for, and there's people that I don't actually care for that much that I would vote for." Because I know that my friend wouldn't do the job, and the person I don't really care for would do the job. And that's what's most important, is that we get the job done, that we do what we're being asked to do. And so the trusted servant has a two-sided, is a two-sided sword, that we have to trust them, and we have to be very sure that we pick trustworthy people, and then the servant has to remain trustworthy and, and be responsible back to the groups. And... uh I honestly, I truly believe in that because if, uh, without it, we, we fall down and I watched it. Every time we have elected somebody that I know of within our area or district or group that we didn't really, nobody gave a lot of thought to it about and we voted somebody in that didn't do the job. They didn't show up most of the time. It took us out of connection with the rest. And a lot of times the job wasn't done. I know at the area I've seen people that we only have four assemblies in two years. We have a spring and a fall, and they only showed up for half of those. And they really they missed out on their job, and I watched some that didn't do anything. And then they would get reelected in another term for another job, and I just watched it in such dismay and tried to talk to it. But uh, a lot of times within these fellowships, we get so concerned about hurting somebody's feelings. And, and I really, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But if their feelings get hurt, I hope they have a sponsor to go talk to about it. But I'm, my job isn't out there to, I feel my duty isn't out there to hurt their feelings. My duty is to try to uh, point out some things that aren't going right, you know, that, that, uh, that these things aren't being done that need to be done. And it really harms AA as a whole. In fact, we have a problem right here in our fair city right now with the person who's in charge of some things that, doesn't show up and the meetings aren't getting opened and when they show up the meetings are very contrary to what the uh, AA's uh, stance is on a few things. We don't have a stance but what AA is all about I should say and, uh, and it's become a problem and I think we're going to have to deal with it at the district and I know that they will deal with it. I, my prayer is that they will deal with it in a kind and loving manner but it needs to be dealt with because this is so important 
And when we step up on that block and, and take one of those positions and accept the the, the, uh, the obligation of doing it, we need to stand up there and say, okay, I'm going to do this to the best of my ability, but be prepared for people to inform you when, when they don't believe it's being done or at least be open to their suggestions. Because this is so important. Is carrying the message in these traditions are what TAA hold and, and all the other fellowships hold. And so that they're out there for those those alcoholics and people from other fellowships that are suffering from from deadly maladies and the ones that aren't even born yet that are on their way. Those that's what we concern me. I've got I guess grandchildren and I think there's a couple of them headed my and I think it's really important to me that it's here and like it was when when I showed up. That, that's what I take these traditions all about. Did that answer your question? Thank you. Um, you brought up something about, uh, you know, people getting elected and, uh, and that possibly can't do the job. But what I find a lot of the times is the popularity contest. Whether they can do the job or not, it's, you know, it's some politicking, I guess, going on or just a popularity contest. Rather than looking if the person can do the job and electing the best person for that. Exactly. But we're not perfect and it's just all we can do is try to call that to the fore so that people will consider it before each election. And I have found that doing it at the election is of no value. It has to be done before the election. Like the year before, start talking about it and uh, really start, you know, trying to get people to put forth, you know, names of people that will really show up. Thank you. Okay. There's a part right here on page 120 in the AA Comes of Age. It's right in the middle of the page. It says, just as the aim of each AA member is personal sobriety, so the aim of our services is to bring sobriety within reach of all who want it. If nobody did the group's chores, if the area telephone rang unanswered, if we did not reply to our mail, then AA as we know it would stop. Our communication lines with those who need our help would be broken. And I know that um, another fellowship that I'm familiar with, there's there's some some people wanted to get some uh, some some things started in in a hurry, and and what would have happened more than likely is people would have been notified about about uh, informed about this fellowship and and that it was there, but. There wouldn't have been any phone there for anybody to call and to get a, a, an answer from. And that's one of the things that we always have to consider is that when we finally step out in our fellowships to the front and say, here we are, we have to make sure that people can get a hold of us and that they can get a hold of people for a 12-step call. That's so important. It's, that to say that we're there and then not have any place for them to reach to, to me, is cruel and unusual. They really need to be able to get a hold of somebody, and that's one of our real obligations is that when we do things like like get something started and we start letting people know that we're around, they have to be able to get a hold of us. And uh, it, there's some anonymity questions I know in, in, in a lot of our fellowships, but we can do that. We can, we can do it in another way. We use answering services and hotlines and all kinds of things here, and I know that that's available everywhere. And it can be handled. It's been done in for a long time. 
And uh, I know that they, when they call me, they ask me if they can patch the person through, or they ask the person, you know, if I if, if uh, they can give their number out to me, and I'll call them back. And those are things that we can do. Of course, there's a lot of caller ID out now, but you can also make sure that yours is uh, unavailable uh, when you do call. But I'm just saying that we really need to make sure that when we start something, we need to be able to follow through with it because people start looking to us, and every now and then something will come up. There'll be a show on TV or whatever happens, and all of a sudden the phones just ring off the hook, and we'll have a lot of people uh, reaching out to us, and that's when it's really important that we we can handle that. Um, it says uh, right below where I just read, this is in the next to the last paragraph on 120. It says, though Tradition 9 at first at first sight seems to deal with purely practical matters, it embodies a deep spirituality in its actual operation. AA is a society without organization, animated only by the spirit of service, a true fellowship. And I, and I, I love those things about AA and how, it, how we look at it, how it is, and, I, and the fact that we can live up to that uh, and do that. And as I always, you know, when I sponsor people, I like to sponsor the people in the 12 steps and through the 12 steps and we go through that book, but also into service. And, and I have to say right here that service structure and service can be two entirely different things. Everybody within the fellowship, whatever fellowship we're in, is capable of doing service. Not all people are suited for service structure because in service structure, when you get to a um, to a district meeting or a uh, intergroup meeting or an area meeting or the general service conference, some things can become, um, we'll say, spirited debates can occur <laughs> or they almost lean over towards heated debates. And sometimes people can really get upset with that and it's too hard on them some people are just not suited to that at the time they try it or maybe even later. But they're absolutely wonderful at carrying the message and being of service, going to the psych ward and the jails and the prisons. And uh, I might add, you don't have to have been a prisoner to go to prisons to carry the message because we're carrying the message, not the prisoner. But going to all these different places and treatment centers and wherever we can go to carry the message to those people who are suffering just like we are, from the same malady we are, whatever fellowship we're in. Everybody is suited for that service. And I believe it's a real responsibility as a sponsor to... Well, I've got a button hanging in my in my truck on the visor. It says, just get in the car. And that's what we do. We just get them in the car and we take them with us. It works much better to show somebody how to do it than it does to tell them how to do it. And that's something that was taught to me by my sponsor and several of my sponsors. Uh, but it's it's been a, a great thing, and I love I love showing it to other people. I, I love the first time I get to take somebody to the psych ward because they're a little skeptical about getting out of there when it's over. And uh, but they, once they do it, and once they come out, and they've seen people that they probably sat in meetings with that they're there. Uh, they're just some of them are just lit up. They just love it and. And when we take people along on that kind of stuff, we offer them the opportunity to start do, walking this walk and, and doing what Step 12 says. That's what it's all about, is carrying this message. Um, 
Then if you get further on into the, uh, the AA comes of age, it talks about the guy who goes in another town and starts the meeting up and, and they're running it and it's doing really good and then it starts to grow and they try to hang on and then pretty soon they kind of get pushed aside a little bit by the people who come in there later. And, um, and I think that that's a, a, you know, that happens a lot. In fact, I know at my group, there was a time when I was opening it all by myself, but it did afford me a chance to read all the literature. And then people started coming, and then as it started to grow, I had to learn how to let go of the rain, because I didn't want to. I wanted to run it, and I wanted to have something to say in everything that was done. But I love a part here. Uh, it says, uh, does AA have a real leadership? And the answer is yes, notwithstanding the apparent lack of it. I just love that. Let's turn again to the deposed founder and his friends. What becomes of them? As their grief and anxiety wear away, a subtle change begins. Ultimately, they divide into two classes known in AA slang as elder statesmen or bleeding deacon. And I was at a workshop with a guy who was 10 years sober when I showed up, and somebody asked him at this workshop, why is it that some people become uh, elder statesmen and others become bleeding deacons? And he says, oh, he says, we all become bleeding deacons. Some of us just don't get over it. And I, I thought that was a perfect answer. And I still do today. Uh, it's great when the bleeding deacon can mature into an elder statesman. And it's a great place to be. I, I managed to achieve it once in a while, but I can become a bleeding deacon in a heartbeat if I don't really do a lot of praying and try to uh, do my very best to maintain my spiritual life. Um, okay, are there any other questions? Okay, well, at the very end of this, at the end of step or tradition nine, it says, uh, it says, but it also remains abundantly clear that we can and must create service boards or committees to be directly responsible to those they serve, and that's us. They serve the groups. Everybody, the whole works, the whole structure is made up of an upside-down pyramid, and the base of that pyramid, the top of it, really, the top of it is the group. And it's the members in the groups that make the decisions and put that forward. And we have to make sure that that, that communication line stays open so that they do remain responsible. Um, and it says later on, right at the very end, before it starts on the tradition intense, it says it will then... Uh, it will it will fall into your lot to guard this treasured principle, and that's what we have to do. We have to make sure that that stays open and that they, that everybody in AA, whether they're at the general service conference, whether they're part of the general service board, the staff, districts, intergroups, or whatever, that they every all of people, all of us that serve AA, will remain. Uh, uh, responsible to I've got a thing here I wrote down from somebody that was talking one time. I think I don't think I read this. It's in my in my service manual. It's at the end of concept five, uh, three, and I wrote it down. And I love this. It, we need to be responsible for picking trusted servants, and they are in turn, and they in turn need to act responsibly and honestly. When these responsibilities have been neglected or ignored, it is up to the groups and their representatives to correct it, first by inventory of themselves, then by inventory of their servants. And I just I just love that, uh, that statement. And 
because that's what it that's what it requires. We can't all just stick our heads in the sand. Sometimes we have to do things to help protect our fellowship, to help it get back on course. And when we have possibly not elected the best people, we have to own responsibility of that too and and be willing to step forward and, and do things about that in a kindly and lovingly and tolerant way. But it has to be done. And I, and I know that none of us like to do that, but sometimes it just has to be done. And it's, it's not a it's not a joyous thing. That that's one of our responsibilities um, is making sure that we do that because it is so important. There's people coming who are going to die if this is here for them. Any of the fellowship. Okay, I've about run out of things that I can uh, drag you around with. Um, if uh, Anybody has questions, I'd be more than happy to try to answer them or write them down and get the answer for you later. What about a Philly Nashville? Yeah. Hi, I'm glad you went up with the inverted chair, but it's been all in mind regarding the tradition this month. Um, the word organized in the short form makes this tradition kind of a punchline for a lot of things that happen. On SAYA too, you know, when somebody doesn't show up to chair the meeting, or the microphones don't work, or there's no treasurer to give the report at the business meeting, they say, "Well, we'll never be organized." And everybody gives a little bit, and I'm not sure if there's any kind of widespread understanding that the intent of the meaning of that word "organized" as the time it was written, and I don't know work on this, looking through dictionaries, old ones and new ones, and the English ones and American ones. And I kind of get the idea that what's meant there, especially in the context of the time in the 30s, when there was a lot of organizing going on in the United States, the labor unions and whatnot, of avoiding the temptation to bring the fellowship together under a single voice for a single purpose. We can be directly, we are directly responsible those we serve at the little, at the smaller level. My group is doing this, our group is doing that, our region is doing this, whatnot. On the larger stage, we're doing what needs to be done to carry the message effectively so that others can get beyond the business, one alcohol, possibly another alcohol, one set of alcohol, and another set of alcohol. But as a whole, we are not grouped together. We can synergistically create this vast movement with lots of power because lots of power will have to be wielded by somebody at the top. We don't have that. We got people at the bottom, answerable to those at the very top, which is everybody all together. And I want to talk a little bit about that. I've, yes, that's a great question. And I, there's a few things that go on within, I know within AA, and I've actually heard a little bit of it in another fellowship. But, uh, you know, there's these old, these old things that we come up with, such as the old AA railroad. You know how they railroad you into a position? You go to the bathroom. When you come back, you're the new GSR. And years ago, I, I, I was watching this happen, and I realized that, folks, we need to, we need to uh, start to understand that the railroad is defunct. It's broken. It doesn't work. And the same thing happens with organization. It's the same thing. We're not supposed to be organized, and everybody laughs, and, and that's kind of an excuse to just uh, not show up or do the job. But one of the things that we do learn in AA 
And that's whether you're in service structure or not, is to be responsible, which I didn't have a nodding acquaintance of what responsible was. I was responsible for a lot of heartache and misery, and I didn't even know that. But I, I didn't know how to be responsible, and that's what they've taught me in AA is that when I say I'm going to do something, I've got to show up. And it isn't like I can intend to show up. I have to commit to it. My mother, she's not an alcoholic. And when I finally, when I came out of treatment and got into AA and she was talking to me, I mean, right off the bat, she said, well, a couple of things she told me. Number one was, Bob, you're not near as good a liar as you think you are. And the other one was, she says, you know, Bob, you wouldn't disappoint nearly as many people if you'd learn how to say no. Because I didn't know how to say no. I had certain commitments and I had to start weighing in on, okay, I've got these commitments in AA. And I have a job I have to show up at and, and these type of things. So I had to start weighing those things in there so that when somebody asked me to do something, I'd say, okay, can I do this or can I not do this? And my, my natural tendency was to just say yes because I wanted to be a people pleaser. And what I had to start doing was weighing into it and seeing I could start telling them things like, you know, uh, would you let me think about that? I need to discuss this at home with the wife or I need to take a look at this and, and see where I'm at. But uh, and then I'll give you my answer tomorrow. But I, I, this deal of of just laughing about it, saying yeah, we're not organized. That's a that's a kind of an escape for a lot of us when we um, we don't want to be responsible for what we did and liking who we did. But the most important part is that door has to be open. That stuff has to be done so that that message gets carried. That's the absolute most important thing is that that the uh, message get carried in that pamphlet, the, the, uh, the AA group, that says the primary purpose of any AA group is to carry the AA message to alcoholics, experience. Um, and that's, it, that's our main thing. That's our main thing. And that's the same thing with other fellowships. We have a primary purpose. We have to learn to do that. And that, that's the uppermost important thing. And making sure that we are responsible, trustworthy, that we show up and do the thing. And if and I know that there was times that I couldn't as a GSR, but we had an alternate GSR. And part of my job was keeping them fully informed of everything that I was being informed of. So that in case they had to step in, if I couldn't be there or something was wrong, they could be there and do it. That's part of our responsibility, and I think it's not... It's not a, a a bad thing to ask of the people that we that we have serving, and I think that's one of the problems that we get into when we just vote on the popularity deal, uh, and not on who can do the job, who will show up. That that uh, that becomes a very important thing, and and I think they just take it for granted way too much. Hope that was of help. Any other questions? Anybody else there? Come here. Yes, I did. Um, about carrying the message, and you said, you know, when we, there's an article out or uh, a shock when we get a lot of calls on the help and info line, what we're experiencing in Toronto is we have a lot of central meetings, almost all of them, but we don't have, we have maybe three on the outskirts. We get calls from people who, you know, it's just not physically feasible. So we still try to get them to a meeting. 
it's just uh, 60 minutes to drive in rush hour could add up to a two-hour drive there and back. And I know in early AA that wasn't a problem, but in our modern society, maybe it's, it's, it's more of a problem. So the information fair, people are calling through the SA, uh, through the SACO, um, SA.org. We get the call. He's, he's 60 miles away. All our meetings, and I try to encourage people to open a meeting once they get going, out of, you know, more in the outskirts. Boy, do you have any comments on that? Thank you. Oh, yeah, from what I, and I understand that with SA, it's, it's been a little more difficult. In fact, it's, you know, being newer, it's, it's difficult too. And, uh, but in AA, I know the old timers, they talked about, they drove tremendous distances to carry the message, but as far as for running a group, sometimes, you know, we can take turns out of a group. Uh, people from a group can take turns uh, going to the outskirts and helping somebody else get a group started. But when a group starts, in, uh, like on the outskirts, unless those people have some time in, in the fellowship, they can really get off track very fast. And that's where people who have been around in the fellowship can be of, of great service, but it, sometimes if you can get a few people to do it and take turns doing it rather than it falling upon one person. I've, I've done that here in Montana. We have some, we got country like out there. It, it's a long ways to meetings. And I did one the second Friday of every month down in eastern Montana and it was 230 miles one way. But it was about when people came out, they'd have AA contacts and I just I did it so that it was being done until we could get somebody down there hooked up and trained how to do it. But you know, um, it's whatever we have time for, whatever we can. But it really trying to help those people get a group started and giving them some guidance on a, on a, how a group goes and how it runs, and then staying in contact with them. But going to every one out there might be a bit of a burden on anybody. But if you get together with a few folks and and split it up talk it over with somebody out there and start start a meeting, help them start a meeting and get it going. That's how your that's how the fellowship grows. But also you can you can make things available. You know, there's a lot of stuff uh online. There can be a lot of phone calls back and forth. You can have a, a set time for phone calls. Uh but the person to person thing, you know, face to face, uh that feeling that you get when you're talking to somebody that understands you. You know here's somebody that has been where I am, and and they, they gain that faith and being able to listen to them. But uh, that would be my only suggestion: is trying to figure out a way to share the load and uh, take turns having people go out there and help them uh, get that meeting rolling. Thank you. Time you drive all that distance through traffic. Yeah. Well, there's and and you know. If, be willing to go to any length. But I guess it's a two-way street, too. Yeah, and it's a two-way street. And one of the best things is that if they're, if they're ready, if they, if they got their wheels on the ground at all, the fact that they would be willing to start a meeting, it doesn't mean it has to go on forever, but we can give them a lot of support. My wife just called me from Salt Lake last night needing a contact for somebody in AA in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And I couldn't answer it right away last night, but I got it out this morning and I went online and drug up some 
stuff, but because I've been in the service a long time and know a lot of people, I can usually round up somebody. But uh finally got her a phone number for that lady to call so that she'd have somebody to contact in her vicinity. But in your case, I can really understand it, but, boy, the, the reward of those people getting their group started and you guys being, um, you know, part of that, like I said, you kind of that's what sponsees are for. <laughs> Thank you. You bet. Best of luck. Anybody else? This is Robert in Atlanta. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello? Uh, I want to uh, read something from the uh, grapevine from uh, 1948 that Bill wrote. It was an editorial on the uh, on the ninth tradition. There's a couple of paragraphs I thought were, were good. And he wrote that the least possible organization, that's our universal ideal, no fees, no dues, no rules imposed on anybody, one alcoholic bringing recovery to the next. That's the substance of what we most desire, isn't it? But how shall this simple ideal be best realized? Often a question that. We have, for example, a kind of AA who is for simplicity. Terrified of anything organized, he tells us that AA is getting too complicated. He thinks money only makes trouble, committees only make dissension, elections only make politics, paid workers only make professionals, and that clubs only coddle slippies. Says he, let's get back to coffee and cakes by cozy firesides. If any alcoholics stray our way, let's look after them. But that's enough. Simplicity is our answer. And quite opposed to such halcyon simplicity is the AA promoter. Left to himself, he would bang the cannon and twang the lyre at every crossroad of the world. Millions of drunks, great AA hospitals, batteries of paid organizers, and publicity experts wielding all the latest paraphernalia of sound and script. Such would be our promoter's dream. Yes, sir, he would bark. My two-year plan calls for one million AA members by 1950. Bill writes, for one, I'm glad to have both conservatives and enthusiasts. They teach us much. The conservative will surely see see to it that the AA movement never gets over-organized. But the promoter will continue to remind us of our terrific obligation to the newcomer and to those hundreds of thousands of alcoholics still waiting all over the world to hear of AA. I just thought that you put that very nicely. Yeah, it, and that's exactly the way it plays out. It, uh, and trying to find the, the medium between the two is, is our responsibility and, and making sure that this message gets out there. My, my sponsor says it in a kind of a different he says, when I showed up, the door was open, the, the the book was open, and the coffee was on. And he says, I want to make sure, I'm responsible to make sure that that happens when the next person shows up. And and that's wherever we are, and trying to make sure that it happens in as many places as possible, uh, that it does happen. And I, I know that there's places where it's really tough for people to get to a meeting. We have a, we have a loner's uh, uh, deal in AA where people can contact the office and 
because they live so far away from other anybody, they can contact the uh, the office, and then they'll hook them up with somebody who communicates with them by writing, probably now by Skype. I don't know, but uh, that's something that's been going on for a long time. Okay, anybody else there? Did everybody leave? I don't know. Might be just you, you and me, Bob. No, no, Peter in Toronto still on. I could talk about oh, the tradition uh, for another 40 minutes, but uh, I need to spawn to you in 10 minutes, and then I'm going to an SA meeting. We got a newcomer coming. I'm meeting him uh, before the meeting with my sponsee. Um, I was, you know, I just finished reading for the second time AA Coming of Age. I encourage anyone to uh, to read. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. And I just finished reading uh, the Lois Wilson story. I don't think that's off topic about uh, because there's so much of Bill in the in the hardcover book. I'm not talking about the movie. This is a book from the same fellow who wrote. Uh, my name is Bill. Right. Is uh, a video out with Bill telling his story with Lois on it? It's available. I wonder if that's the... You- okay, yeah. You can get it at the General Service Office, and it's Bill there at, there, there at Stepping Stones, and uh, he tells his own story, and then they move in the house, and they're talking in there, and he, he gets coffee, he poured out the coffee pot that's still sitting on that on that stove. Can you hear me now? Another video. There's another video that's available. Oh, yes. We'll talk you now. Okay, thank you. In front of the, the group. And those are both available. Hi, Bob. I'm back. You asked earlier if I was still there, and I tried to speak, and uh, apparently I didn't get unmuted when you pressed star five. I don't know how, but anyway, I'm here now. Oh, you might have muted yourself. <laughs> I checked, and I was not, I was not muted on either... Uh, I wasn't muted. Yeah, I don't know. It was pretty strange. But because I know when I did it, the lady, the lady on there, the the uh, automated lady, said that everybody was unmuted. I got a sponsee that keeps muting me uh, when we're talking on the cell phone, and he mutes himself on. I think he's hung up. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of funny that way. He's he's a hyperactive guy anyway. So well. Has anybody got any more questions? I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.